Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. It's, uh, it's really great to, uh, to be here together. And I feel like this is like a half day for me because this is only one, one sermon. Gary says the first one's like a warm-up, and I don't have that chance this morning. So, But, you know, I couldn't help but just uh, sit there and reflect as we're singing. Beautiful. I, I'm partial to the hymns, right? Nothing but the blood. Do we recognize that this morning, church? That there is no power, that there is no hope, that there is no life but for the blood of Jesus? Nothing but the blood. And so the title this morning of the message is A New Thing. A new thing. Makes sense, right? We keep talking about going deeper, and that means allowing God to do a new thing in us so that he can do a new thing through us. It allows our, our heart, it, it, it invites, it, it asks us to give God more of us, to surrender more that we can be more effective as his hands and feet, as salt and light in this community, right? to do again a new thing in us and do a new thing through us. We're going to have a month of, of prayer and fasting for the month of January. And at the beginning of the week, one of the pastors will share a video, and then we're going to have the week of the 22nd, all of our, our uh, gatherings and activities will be focused on prayer and fasting together. But I want us, again, to, to focus on going deeper. Those personal and corporate disciplines, right? We pray alone and then we pray together. We come together. And we just seek Jesus. And so every year we make resolutions for a better life, right? Everybody, it's like, this is the year. We're going to get that start we need, and we're full of hope of, and anticipation. I was driving to church this morning on Peckham Road, and there was like literally like eight couples jogging. Now, I know it's a nice day, and there's usually one or two couples jogging, but I couldn't help. But here, and you know, maybe not the wives. I don't want to say it like that. But, you know, come on, honey, this is the day. It's January 1st, and I wonder on January 18th, on January 28th, right? Now, it's been a nice few days, but again, I think those New Year's resolutions come into play. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with focusing on, on wanting to do a new thing, with focusing on areas where we need to change, with focusing on getting better. I mean, it sort of seems okay. But you know what happens time after time is it becomes an exercise in our own willpower. And so year after year, within a few weeks, it's gone, and we feel deflated and sad and guilty. Now, don't get me wrong. Human willpower can be strong. The human will can overcome lots of things. But nothing compares to allowing the power of Christ to dwell in us and to dwell through us. And so we're not talking about willpower. We're talking about Christ's power. And so while I'm not a, a, a big believer in New Year's resolutions, one thing they remind us of is that we want our lives to count, don't we? We want to make a difference. Nobody wants to look back with, with regret. Nobody wants to look back and, and recognize or realize that they've wasted their life. And the sad reality is there are far more people wasting their lives that don't realize it. John Piper said the good news about that, though, is this. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. 
That's what Piper says. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have a wide range of knowledge. You only have to know a few great things, perhaps just one. Of course, he's talking about you only have to know who Jesus is and be willing to live for them or die for them. The good news is everyone here can make an eternal impact with their lives. You know, we read scripture or we hear testimonies and the enemy always convinces us that that's for them. That that's not for us. That that's for those Bible people or that's for that super Christian or that's for that, you know, family that seems to have it all together. That it's not for us. But that's not true. And it doesn't have to be January 1st or the beginning of a new year for a fresh start. But it doesn't hurt, right? It's a new day, a new year, a new chance. As Christians, we know Lamentations 3 says this, because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Not sometimes, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will wait with hope for the things I can't see, for the promises that have yet to be unfolded in my life. I will persevere in prayer. I will trust in the Lord. I will grow my faith. I will become more like Jesus. See, God is faithful and his mercy and compassion are given to us by his grace daily. And we've said, you know, week after week that God expects when we accept Christ as our Lord that we will be radically transformed. And again, this isn't our own efforts. It's not about resolutions. It's not about intentions. It's about submitting to his power in us. Most of the time, what we have to do is just get out of the way or just take the weeds out of the garden, right? He's going to cause the growth. He's going to cause the miracle of new life. We just got to move the garbage. We got to be intentional about making sure the, the, the uh, soil is fertile. We got to remove all the distractions, all the things that compete for, for our affection and our attention. And we got to hear that still small voice of the one who invites us deeper and deeper with him. A lot of you I know have been to the Teen Challenge Men's Campus in Brockton. Obviously very significant to me and, and Pastor Jamie, many of us here. On the wall in the gym, the verse from Isaiah 43, 43 verse 18 and 19 is displayed. And it says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Forget the past. Focus on the future and trust in him. That's going to be our task this morning. Forget the past. Focus on the future and trust in him. Amen? Take a minute, say hi to somebody near you, and then we'll keep going. Father, we are gathered here again this morning, your people, your children, to hear from you, to be ministered to by you. And so, God, we invite your presence. We give you access to our hearts. We invite your Holy Spirit. 
Would you bless the reading of your word this morning? God, would you have your way in this place? Would you do what I can't do? Would you do what none of us can do? Would you intervene? Would you interrupt? Father, would you radically change us from within? I pray for every single person in this room to have a fresh encounter with Jesus, not to, not to be satisfied with what you did yesterday, God, but to long to go deeper with you this morning. And so we're here, and we're ready and willing and able, and, and we ask you to increase our faith, to increase our hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your word, and for your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as we read about Isaiah, and, and you know, all the time, whenever we teach, context is important. We've got to know what's happening. And so Isaiah is living during a time when the people of God are divided into two kingdoms. Israel was the kingdom of the north, and Judah was the kingdom of the south. And the kingdom of the north had again turned its back on God. The kingdom of the south is, is heading in the right direction. You know, we read about nations, we read about people, we see it in our neighbors, and then we recognize in our own heart the desire to just keep going back to the things that enslave us. So no matter how much God's done, no matter how faithful he's been, no matter how much we've seen, to go back into our slavery, to go back into the things that held us in bondage. And so we study what's happening with the people of God back then. We found that they had once again turned their lives back on God to leave a life full of sin. And so Isaiah's warning the people of the impending judgment. The people would still have to endure another hundred years of difficulties before the fall of Israel, seven years of exile. But in these verses, God is offering words of encouragement, words of consolation. He's calling them to a new beginning. He's calling them as a nation collectively and as people individually to repent. He's calling on them to trust him. To not look at yesterday, to not look at this morning, to not look at the past, to forget the former things and to trust him. So what do these words tell us today? Because, you know, we read that and we, and we understand, you know, we understand that it was God's holy and chosen people, that a special nation, and that collectively they walked away. And then we don't recognize our own self and our own sinner, that we are now the new Israel, the new church. We are now all of us, God's children, his holy people set apart. And what do we do? The same thing. And we read it and we say, well, you know, that was, that was to the people Israel. And then we look at our own life and we say, but in my life, you know, you don't understand my past. I mean, you don't understand, you know, I'm not really qualified or, or I, have some, I have some things in my past. But in Acts 9, it tells us a little bit about somebody who had some things in his past, I think. Then Saul still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters for him to the synagogues of Damascus, so if that he had found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So it's easy for us to read the Bible and to sort of gloss over things or forget. So let me just tell you what's happening here. Our beloved Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, the person who ministered to thousands of people, Paul, the super apostle. At this point in his life, 
He is so zealous for what he thinks is right. He is so wrapped up in his own system of thinking that he's excited and doing everything he can to murder and witness the murder of Christians. So again, we say, well, in my own life, well, I don't know if God can use me because any of you been, you know, on a murdering Christian rampage lately? I mean, don't say that, right? But because we forget this, like we, you know, we read about the nation of Israel and we understand that. And then we, you know, we read, but this was Paul. This was Paul before Jesus, because every one of us has a before Jesus. And maybe you're here now and that's all you have. But you can have a with Jesus. You can have a with Jesus forever. And so you can't look at your past. That's what Isaiah is saying. Forget about that. And we're going to get more into the scriptures there. But I want to put it in the New Testament context. Well, Paul's the perfect example of this. Paul could have been like, listen, I know you want to use me, Lord, but I was the guy. And again, like we can't even fathom. Can you imagine standing by? I mean, have you, have you, you know, hopefully not, but there are videos online. You know, we, people in the Middle East still are being stoned to death. As of this day, they're still stoning people to death. And it's a horrible thing. You can't fathom that. And Paul just stood there. Paul saw that. I mean, you, again, this was, this was Paul before Jesus. He was not an okay guy. He wouldn't have been somebody, if God's looking out and he's like, yeah, that, that's the guy. Because we, we think of that. We think in very human terms. But the Bible says, right, God, God doesn't look at the physical. He looks at our heart. And again, most of the time we've said our mess becomes our message. Our past qualifies us for ministry in the future. So this is Paul. And he's on the way. Because we're always on the way to do something important, aren't we? This is what Paul's given his life to. Paul is on the way to doing the thing that gives him the most pride. It gives him his identity. It makes him feel good. Paul is on a mission to do what Paul thinks is best. And everybody in this room, every one of us, we're on that same sort of a mission, aren't we? We have, we have an agenda and we have goals. Maybe for the new year. Maybe they're good goals. I just want to make sure they're Jesus' goals. As he journeyed, verse 3, we're in Acts chapter 9. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you am persecuting. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. See, if you have an encounter with Jesus, if it's an authentic encounter, it is an interruption. But no matter how important what you're on the way to do seems to be, the only proper response when you recognize it is Jesus, is to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And sometimes he's going to say, this is what I want you to do. And sometimes he's going to say, I want you to go here, and then I want you to wait. Paul was obedient. Arise and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Saul was a devout Jew. He was a, the tribe of Benjamin. We said he, he was a pedigree in that world 
a Pharisee among Pharisees. But he had a misplaced zeal for God, and he persecuted the church. And so he believed, like a lot of people in the world think they're doing the right thing. There are people who march for all sorts of things, and in their mind, in their heart, they believe it's right. And we're not left to figure out what's right, because God makes clear what's right. That's why we have his word, and we have the testimony of his spirit, and his saints, so we're not left to question. In Acts 9.1, it says he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Just in case you think that it was, you know, a casual day. He's like, that gives the picture of, he's like enraged. Like he's worked up. He's, he's excited about this. He's getting ready for the fight. Paul couldn't be more committed to his past life. And then Jesus interrupts everything, literally knocks him down. It's a perfect picture of what he does. Sometimes it's not as, as dramatic as that for us in the sense of what's going on physically in our life, but spiritually it is always that dramatic. Because spiritually it always has to be Jesus interrupting you in the middle of what you're doing, in the middle of where you are, and you stopping and asking who it is. And if you recognize it's him, your response has to be, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? And when it is, you will look back and, and you will, you know, I was driving it today and I got into the, I wasn't even going to say this, but I got into my office and there's a letter on my desk. And I'm reading the letter and it's from Kathy. And she was cleaning and she found an article of, I don't know how many years, 15 years ago, when we were at South Coast, 30 people, you know, gathered together. And they did an article and they quoted me. It's the best thing I've ever been quoted in the newspaper saying, you know, when the church is going, they're like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm literally quoting the paper being like, no idea. No idea what I'm doing at all. I still don't. Still don't. But I know what he's doing. And it was just a reflection of just looking back on the faithfulness of God. Despite us. What didn't make any sense to look back and be like, all we did is we, we tried our best to be faithful. I remember when we had no worship teams, zero. We played videos. And now we have an embarrassment of worship teams, right? Come on, we can, we can. We couldn't fit people in the facility. Like everything, God in his plan, he knew. And what he does isn't, isn't based on what we're able to do. It's based on us going, you can do that in me and through me. We have to cooperate. Because don't get me wrong, God's get, he's going to get it done. The question is, do you want to be part of what he's doing or not? That's really what it is, church. As, as we look at this new year, God's going to keep working. This is still going to be a place of light. God's still going to do amazing things. The question is, where are you going to be in that? Where are you going to be? We read about how one day he's walking down or he's going down on the road to the city of Damascus in pursuit of the believers there and he experiences a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And it turned him into a disciple. And here's the thing, because I think we forget this. If you are a disciple, you have a call of God in your life. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have a call of God in your life. You cannot not have a call of God in your life as a disciple of Jesus. 
We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been called to comfort others with the comfort God has given us. We're bearers of hope. We're salt and light. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's the call of God in your life. Make Jesus famous, right? In a world that everybody wants attention, let Jesus get the attention. He's the only one worthy of it. He's the only one who deserves it. This man who had come to Damascus with a commission to afflict the Christians was now commissioned to bring light. Just think of that. But God is right. And Paul, through the spirit of Christ, becomes the most determined of the apostles, suffering, suffering physical death, persecution, and finally martyrdom. He was willing to give it all for the one who gave it all for him. There was no question. He recognized the only value his life, have, his life had was serving Christ even in his death. We're about to begin a new year and God calls us to have a new beginning. And we're here and we all want a new beginning. Everyone wants a new start. What's gonna get in the way? What's gonna stop it? Your ability, your lack of ability, those things, those sins that you love more than God that you wanna hold on to, fear, lack of trust, what's it gonna be? Or is it just gonna be a, a year, a day, this morning where you just say, you know what, Lord, you can have access I don't, I'm afraid, and, and I don't know what it's going to look like, and, and, you know, and, and it's scary to me, but I'm just going to trust you because I know what it looks like when I drive, and I don't do well. So would you take control? And so how do we achieve this? Two small verses are going to answer the question, right? Because God intervenes in nations and in lives. He interrupts, and his interruption should redirect everything in our life, not just parts of it, all of it. Or we will remain unfulfilled and longing because we don't trust him. That's the truth. That's the truth as sure as I'm standing here and everybody's confirmed it and nobody's denied it. If you don't live for Christ, you will live experiencing a longing that'll never go away. You will live wholly unsatisfied. It's just the truth. Talk to people. Ask them. When people say, oh, I don't go to church, I don't love Jesus, I don't worship, okay, then say, well, what do you worship? What do you live for? And they, oh, I don't know, you know, I, you got nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, unfortunately, there's so many people in the body of Christ held captive by the things of the world. Sometimes it's rebellion. Sometimes it's relying on our own power. It's a lack of willpower. Sometimes it's just apathy. I mean, sometimes, church, me and you, sometimes we're just spiritually lazy if we're honest. Again, my wife, she tells me all the time, I hate to hear it, you make time for what's important. I've, you've heard me say that before. You make time for what's important in your life. And if you find yourself in this situation, know that God speaks to us this morning. And so the first thing we read about in Isaiah, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Forget the former things. My father used to say, mistakes that you learn from are mistakes, they're lessons. Do not dwell on the past. In other words, don't stay there. Dwelling is where you live. It's where you remain, right? 
So if you remain dwelling on the past, if you remain stuck in the past, if you remain, you know, a slave to the past, if you allow the enemy to convict you with your past, no. No, Jesus has set us free toward a future. And so nations need to be reminded that. Paul needs to be reminded of that. You and I need to be reminded of that. I don't care what yesterday looked like. I don't care what this morning looks like. God doesn't care what your heart looks like right now because the Bible says, while they were yet sinners. doesn't wait for us to get it together. Two things are extreme important. But the main one, tell the person next to you, forget the former things. Forget the former things. You can be shaped by it. You can learn from it. But don't dwell on it. Luke says this in Luke chapter 12. And I love this advice. Because Jesus gives practical advice. Right? They get all these self-help books. All, you know, stupid opinions, whatever. Jesus gives practical advice. Ready? Jesus says this. We talk about wearing. And if I said don't worry, I would be like, I can't not worry. I'm I'm worried. Worried about everything. So Jesus goes like this. Who of you by wearing can add a single hour to your life? Just cuts right to the chase. Like, it doesn't help you. Like, is wearing going to make it better? We've, we've said before, psychologists think that upwards of 80% of the stuff you worry about never comes to pass. And that means most of our worry is hypothetical. Just a comforting thought. So Jesus is going, who of you by wearing can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the, how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. He's going, you know what God does just, just, just kind of as a thing? Look at the beauty around you. That's, that's just like a default. That's like an overflow of a, of a loving creator. That's just beauty that you can't conceive of. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? In other words, Jesus is going, look, if you're wearing it's because you don't have enough faith. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is going, if you want God to do a new thing, you have to have the right focus, the right priority, the right heart. And this is of extreme importance because most of the time in our lives, what the enemy uses, and sometimes it's not the enemy, sometimes it's our flesh, sometimes it's just people that we're in relationship with and everybody uses our past. Everybody uses our past. And our adversary, we use the past to keep us from leading the life God wants us to. But in Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Because God calls us to be rejoicing, happy, full of joy, always victorious. Not, again, forget the past. Don't dwell on it. And then it continues. See, I am doing a new thing. He wants to do something new in our life today. He wants to renew us and strengthen us. And so when he surveys the landscape, he's looking for hearts that will trust him. He's looking for lives that he can turn upside down for his glory. 
As believers, we must begin to depend more on God and less on our own abilities. And once this happens, we will begin to experience God's power in our life. I'm going to say that again. As believers, we must learn to depend more on God and less on our own abilities. We must trust what he's going to do, what he wants to do, not what we can do. If I looked around and said, all right, I'm only going to do, we're only going to do what I can do, we, would, we, would, we wouldn't make a lot of progress. And I've said before, it's not what, what I can do, it's what he can do and what we can do, right? I've said that before, it's all of us together, allowing God to do what he only does. And once this happens, once we depend more on him, we'll experience his power in our lives. We'll experience what we find in Deuteronomy 28.6. Blessed are you when you come and blessed are you when you go out. You'll just be one of those people that wherever you go, people like, are they a Christian? There's something, you know, something different about their life. Some, some sort of a deep joy. And so God wants to do something new in our life and the word tells us now it springs up. This is God's promise to us. It's not gonna not spring up. You can't not overflow with living water if you if you, your thirst is quenched with Jesus. And so what's happening here is this, this promise. Now it springs up. Now you can see it. He's going to glorify himself. And then immediately it says, do not perceive it. Why? Because it's so easy for us to miss what God's doing right here, right now. Because either we're expecting something else, or we're distracted on something else, or our focus is somewhere else. And God's going, no, not only do you remember what I, what I did in your past, but right now, today, in this very moment in your heart, do, do you not perceive it? Do you not recognize it? Do you not know who I am? Do you not trust me? I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up. Their roots are there. Do we trust them? It's an important question because quite often we don't get to see the blessings of God because we miss the still small voice. Sometimes we're so stubborn, we're unwilling to recognize our own faults. Or sometimes we're so stubborn that all we do is recognize our own faults and we neglect the Christ in us. Paul could have said, like, Paul could have said I am disqualified from ministry. I mean, there are certain things. When you, when you apply to be a minister, there are certain things in your life that will disqualify you. And I wonder if Paul would have applied for credentials anywhere, how they would have dealt with that. I used to kill Christians. In fact, I used to get so excited about it that I'd work myself off. I'd have a little chant, go kill Christian chant, and then I would go kill them. Sorry, Paul, we can't use you. There is nothing you can do that's more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no sin. There is nothing in your past. There's nothing in your heart. The truth is, is just as, just as the people in Isaiah's time, just as Paul, no one will ever receive God's blessing if we continue on a path that leads away from him. No one will receive and recognize and operate in God's blessing if we, re, if we refuse to repent. Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. When this happens, God begins to act. I've said a million times preaching here that your past is never gonna disqualify you, only your pride is. That means if you leave here and you stand the sidelines for another year or two, if you leave here and you stay stuck in a pattern of sin, if you leave here 
and you stay in your life before Jesus, it's not your past. It's your pride. It's rebellion. It's the thing that God came to deliver you from, to set you free from, to do a new thing. When there's genuine repentance in the life of the person, God acts and does something new in that life. So what will he do here today? Well, Isaiah makes it clear. This is what he does. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I'm doing what can't possibly be done. I'm bringing life where there was death. I'm bringing a future where there was nothing. Jesus is going, look, this is, this is what I do. It's a miracle. I make a way when there is no way. I remember years ago, years ago, talking to my mother-in-law about school, wanting to go to, to seminary, you know, and she's like, well, you know, if God wants you to do that, you know, someday he's going to make it possible. And I remember thinking, I love my mom. I'm thinking, sweet, she's so naive. Like, you know, what's that so cute? That's like, yeah, God's just going to make a way. He's going to make it happen. Now, I've been in seminary for, I don't know, 15 years. <laughs> because I was looking at it, but how could he do it? But I have this job, and but I don't have time, and but I have kids, and but it's cosmo, but I don't know. And Justin just goes, do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus makes a way when there seems to be no way? Oh, you of little faith. These words tell us that if we trust him, that he's going to guide us through the tribulations we have to traverse. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've made a way. I've opened a new path. It's filled with my presence. He wants to give us a drink from the fountain of living water so we will never thirst again. We listen today as Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. And if we just believe this, church, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus Jesus is going, if you allow me to nourish you, if you allow me to be your source, your life simply can't help but overflow with my presence. I mean, we complicate it. And there's a million reasons in our head why we can't, why it won't, why he can't. And Jesus is going, would you just trust me? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul, Paul who recognized well the power of a past said, therefore. And in seminary, we've, you know, we've heard me say before, if it says therefore, it's there for a reason. Pay close attention. Paul's going, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. It's a conditional phrase. Paul's going, if this is the case, then this is the case. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Paul's going, I'm not Saul the persecutor. I'm Paul the Apostle. I'm not Brian the drug addict or Brian the you know, self-centered jerk. or Brian. I mean, sometimes I'm still that guy, right? I'm Brian the forgiven child of God. 
Regardless of our past, we can become God's instrument of healing and of deliverance and of hope and of restoration and of reconciliation. Paul said we should be made new and the attitudes of our minds. We should think different. We should be different. We should allow God to make us different. And so he said this, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Philippians 1 verse 20. Paul's going, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens to my body. It doesn't matter what people say because I know to live is Christ and even to die is gain. See, we want to be this kind of Christian. I think we want to honor God and we want to live from, but we get distracted and we get lazy and we lose heart and we get weary and we focus on the wrong things. We can accept God's gift of love and we can go ahead to show the love to others but we have a past and maybe it's emotional and maybe it's physical or maybe it's self-abuse but whatever it is, a lot of times it has you in bondage and you just have to recognize the power of blood. The power of the blood of Jesus is more powerful than my past. The power of God. Let this morning be your Damascus Road encounter. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone. You know, I, just, I was just reading, a, the, they had a, the Pope who had just wrote his last published letter. You know what he did? He asked for forgiveness. And he asked God to receive him. I mean, God to receive, like, you know. This. Since the fall of mankind, every human being has been born with a sinful nature, and Christ came to earth and died in our place and rose again to conquer death and sin. And so today he provides salvation as a gift to those who will receive it. Those who will, in repentance, say, you know what, I don't, I don't even know, I, don't even, I, I can't even figure out, I don't understand it all, I don't have a full comprehension, but here's all I need to know. Like John Newton said on his deathbed, I know two things. I know I'm a great sinner, and I know Christ is a great Savior. All you got to recognize, and I, I used to tell guys that come in Team Challenge, I say, you don't need to know anything. All I want from you is for you to say, I don't want to be the same as I am right now. I don't care about anything else in your life. I don't care what you think about anything in the world. If you can look me in the eye and say, I don't want to be the same as I am right now, God can do an amazing thing in your life. But sometimes we say that, but we don't really mean it. Some of us like where we are right now. And I would tell guys, if you, if you don't want to be different than you are right now, leave. Leave right now. But if you do, oh, this is the place. Because the power of God changes eternities and changes lives. I want to invite the worship team up. Figuratively, the road to Damascus means having a life-changing encounter with God. It means allowing him to interrupt even your most hard-set plans. Even maybe the thing that you've given your life to and send you a different way. And it means you having the faith to go, where do I go? But what after that? But I don't, and just taking that step of faith. It's to make a turnaround from a set path to pursue an entirely new one. Encountering Christ on our road to Damascus is to wholeheartedly turn to him in genuine repentance and faith. 
It's to experience a genuine conversion. And that doesn't mean we be made better. That means we be made new. That means we become entirely different. It's turning away from dead religion and self-righteousness. It's turning away from the system of the world. It's a radical change of mind and affection and will. It's a break with old pattern and an embracing of a new life. And the evidence is a desire to be instructed more in the word of God. It's a willingness to obey. A true convert is marked by a desire to pursue holiness. So the question is, have you repented and turned to God? And if you haven't, each of us here in this place, open our hearts to the Lord, offer our lives to him as living sacrifices. And then we gather together week after week and we believe the promises. Psalms 119, the word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. God's word will instruct us. It'll nourish us. It'll guide us. And together we can read it constantly and meditate on it and pray for God's power to carry it out and allow it to work on growing our faith daily. If you don't read a Bible through, through a Bible, there's a million ways to do that. You can listen online. You can, we'll buy you a Bible. Talk to me. We'll figure it out. But let the word of God penetrate your heart this year. Because you can listen to all kinds of sermons and you can come to all kinds of stuff but nothing has the power of God's word and God's spirit. Talk to him every day in prayer. Start by praying in the morning. Be thankful for the little things. So this morning, no matter where you are in your journey, whether beginning at this very moment, whether committing to a closer walk, whether renewing your focus on prayer and reading the word, let us together grow deeper with Christ church. Let us together allow him to do a new thing in us and through us. I understand busyness, but it's your life. It's my life. We make time for what's important. We get out what we put in. And here's the thing. In spiritual, spiritual matters, we get exponentially more. He asks us to take a step, and then he takes 999. But we've got to show up. Be aware. Slow down. Listen to the still, small voice. And as Paul tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.